0: Hezekiah was. So we're going to look at Hezekiah because in the midst of a very dark time for the nation of Israel, Hezekiah was an amazing inspiration. So I want you to turn or tap to the book of Hezekiah, chapter 1, verse 1. As soon as you get there, I want you to raise your Bible or your phone app. all right, that was cruel. There is no book of Hezekiah. There should be though, right? Doesn't it sound like it? There should be like this book of Hezekiah. There is no book of Hezekiah, um, but it really sounds like there should be. I, I know I, that's, that's probably cruel to do on a Sunday morning, but so, so you're, <laughs> Hezekiah, is actually um, talked about in the book of 2 Kings, chapters 18 through 20, 2 uh, Chronicles, chapters 29 through 32, and Isaiah, chapters 36 through 39. He's got three different books that speak about his reign. And this morning, we're, we're actually going to spend the majority of our time in 2 Chronicles, chapter 29. That's a real book and a real chapter, so if you'd like to turn to 2 Chronicles 29, I'll give you a chance to turn or tap there, and we'll be there in just a little bit. Um, all the records are similar except each one kind of adds a little bit of, a, of the story that they feel is significant to their readers. Um, when Isaiah speaks of Hezekiah in chapter 36, the reason we're not looking in Isaiah this morning, is when Isaiah speaks of Hezekiah in chapter 36, it's already the 14th year of his reign. So you're coming into like the middle of his story. So I don't want to do that. I want to kind of pick up in the beginning, because I think the beginning of Hezekiah's reign is really, really significant. And if we're going to appreciate the life and leadership of this king, we really want to start back in the beginning. So let's talk for just a minute about Hezekiah's family tree. So Hezekiah was a descendant of David, but also a descendant of Ahaz. As a matter of fact, um, Matthew chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, says this. Uzziah fathered Jotham, Jotham fathered Ahaz, Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh, Manasseh fathered Ammon, Ammon fathered Josiah, Josiah fathered Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile into Babylon. If you keep reading, that started with David before that, and if you keep reading, it goes up to the line of Christ. So Hezekiah is one of those guys who's in the lineage of Jesus. He's like the great, 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 I forgot how many generations back, grandfather of Jesus, which is pretty cool. I mean, that's a pretty neat thing. And could you imagine saying, "Yep, yeah, yeah um, I'm from the same line as that guy. But so was Ahaz. Kind of sours the whole thing, doesn't it? This great king is a part of the line, but so was this awful, detestable king was also a part of the line of Jesus. To me, this is a reminder, and a really great reminder, I think that it doesn't matter if you were born into a Christian home or not, or if you were born into a very rough home situation. It doesn't matter if your parents were missionaries or pastors. None of that matters. There's no pedigree that helps you be used by God or that makes you better in God's eyes. There's no genealogical glorification to, I was born to this person, and therefore I'm better than anybody else. It's not that way. God uses both the righteous and the wicked, and God uses anybody from any line. Remember, as you read your Bible, they thought the descendants of Abraham would be the people. Anybody who's born from the line of Abraham, they got it made. Not true. They're the ones being punished right now. And as a matter of fact, it's going to be the Gentiles, the non-Jews that are going to have a special place in God's heart later on. So not born from Abraham. Like, whoa. The genealogy is cool, but it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter who you were born to, what your parents were like, what your home situation was like. God can use you in spite of or because of that. Does that make sense? Now, now parents, let me also give you a little bit of a tip here. I mentioned that Jotham was a good king and his son Ahaz was a detestable man. Parents, just because you love the Lord and you teach your children about the things of God does not mean they will follow God. Can we just say that? There's no guarantees that your faith will make your kids follow God. Every single person from every generation and every genealogy must choose themselves whether they will honor God with their lives or not. That's what the Bible teaches. You're not sanctified because of your parents, but I can say that godly parents make a big influence on their children. And if you want your children to follow God, I strongly encourage you to take notes during this lesson and live the way Hezekiah did. We're going to look at his life. We're going to look at what he did and what made him useful to God and what made him such a great king, a great leader, a great image bearer of God, God follower. We're going to look at his godly example. So 2 Chronicles chapter 29. Hopefully you've gotten a chance to get there. We're going to talk about godly example or living for God. 2 Chronicles 29, verses 1 through 10. So Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the Lord's temple and repaired them. He brought the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the eastern public square. And he said to them, hear me, Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove everything impure from the holy place. For our ancestors were unfaithful and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They abandoned him, turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. They also closed the doors of the portico, extinguishing the lamps, and did not burn incense and did not offer burnt offerings in the holy place of the God of Israel. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord was on Judah and Jerusalem, and he made them an object of terror, horror, and mockery, as you see with your own eyes. Our fathers fell by the sword, and our sons, our daughters, and our wives are in captivity because of this. It is now, my, it is my heart now to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his burning anger may turn away from us. So from the first month in office, Hezekiah is bringing about sweeping change. Now, we're in the month of a transition with our president. And it's often during the first months of anybody taking office in a government where the majority of the changes happen, isn't it? It's like, that's your opportunity. Make it happen fast, get in there, and set the tone for what you're going to be doing in the years to come. This is no different with Hezekiah in this spot. He's making some radical changes. As we look at the leadership of, of Hezekiah, the beginning of his reign, I think it's a great model for every Jesus follower, um, whether you're leaders in your homes or at work or in government, but especially um, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord. This is how we should be living And it starts, first of all, to live a godly life starts, first of all, with the heart. It starts with the heart. In verse 10, we read that Hezekiah shares with the people that it's in his heart to make a covenant with God. And I know we've talked a lot about the heart before. Um, The Hebrew word heart is not referring to the organ that pumps blood. Okay, It's not the squishy little tissue thing. That we have here that's not the heart that the hebrews would refer to the word heart actually refers to a person's thoughts emotions their will their knowledge it's a brain thing as much as it is a a decision a will a desire Uh, it's more than just feelings like we associate heart with you know like Valentine's is next month, and, you know, everybody send a little heart, you know, I heart you and stuff, and you all have the little emojis, and you send them, and it means you're thinking about them, you love them, the, the warm fuzzies. That's not the Hebrew heart. The Hebrew heart is about decisions and intellect and will and knowledge. It starts with the heart. And when speaking to the leaders, um, when speaking about leaders in the Scriptures, it's not uncommon for God to refer to their heart what was their heart like? As a matter of fact, you read in the scriptures that at times, God hardened people's hearts. There's something that'll kind of mess with you when you start studying it out. At other times, he softened people's hearts. Pretty cool. When we talk about leaders in the Bible, often God talked about their heart, and we see this, Hezekiah was was referred to as someone who was like David. Well, when David was set up as king. He was set up as king because he was a man after God's own what? Heart. Matter of fact, the book of Acts chapter 13, verse 22 says this, after removing Saul, God raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out my will. So David and Solomon and many others were known for seeking God's heart and having a heart for God. So why is this significant? Well, if you go back to the flood, remember the flood? That was like over a year ago. We talked about the flood. After God flooded the earth and did a global reset, so we're just going to wipe man out because it's bad. He said, I know that the heart of man is continually evil all the time. (laughs) It's always evil all the time. So horrible absolutes there to say about our hearts. God knows that our hearts are bad all the time. And therefore, in order for men and women to live in a way that pleases God, the heart has to change. Something, not here, but here, the whole being, the will, the emotion, the thoughts, the knowledge, all need to be tuned to God. One of the passages that's supposed to help us remember this is called the Shema. Shema is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, and it says this, Love the Lord your God with all your what? With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Now, I think it's cool that it starts with heart. I don't think that it's like a linear thing. You have to start with the heart and then go to the soul. and then It's an all-inclusive. You have to do all of them. It's just pretty cool that God heart first. But it starts with us loving God with everything, and that includes our heart. Um, to love God with our heart takes an effort. Because we have broken hearts, because we have, like, I don't want to call them defective because God made them, so it's not really defective, but hearts that, that seek after the bad stuff, thanks to Adam and Eve, we were born that way. It takes work to have a heart that seeks after God, doesn't it? it I wish it was easy. You know, I wish you could just wake up and go, oh man, I can't even imagine not following God. But have you ever had those days where you just kind of struggled doing what God wanted you to do? Or or maybe I need to resign as a pastor. Maybe I'm like the only one that's ever done that and I need to quit now. But I think we all struggle at times with with our heart um, because we're born with broken and sinful hearts that draw us away from God. And God tells us that it's going to be this way until. Someday, One day. We talk about this day of the Lord. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, talks about a day when God's going to renew everything. And listen to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 24, verse 5 through 7. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. He starts talking about Israel. He's talking about them like a fig tree. Any of you like figs? Fig Newtons? All right, make them into a cookie. We'll eat them. Just give me a fig. I won't, right? Okay, so... God says this, like those, like these good figs, so I regard as good the exiles from Judah I sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. And I will keep my eyes on them for their good, and I'll return them to this land. I'll build them up and not demolish them. I'll plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me that I am Yahweh. They will be my people, And I will be their God because they will return to me with all of their heart. There will be a day where God will reestablish the nation Israel that day, not just after the exile, physical exile, but when we're exiled from, from this world of sin completely. On that day, God will give everyone a heart that seeks him, and until then we'll struggle will struggle. God needs to renew our hearts because it's the very essence of a person. What comes out of a person comes from their heart. That's kind of disturbing. If you find that you're always anger, angry, you should probably ask God to help you because there's probably something going on in your heart. If you find that you're always fearful and what you say, or if you find that what the words that you say are condemning, you, be careful. Ask God to examine your heart so there's probably something inside that you're struggling with. Jesus gave us a great example in Matthew 15. He said this, Matthew 15, 17. People were talking about what makes a person bad, what makes them unclean, defiles them. And Jesus said, don't you realize that what goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? It's just so, it's so graphic. You eat it, you digest it, and it's gone, right? You flush it. It's, what goes into you doesn't make you bad, he's saying. But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And this defiles a person. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, and slander. The the bad things that we choose come from something in our heart. So when we find ourselves struggling living in a way that pleases God, when we find ourselves struggling with looking at things we shouldn't be or saying things we shouldn't be, it's time to ask God to check our heart. It's time to say, hey, I need a heart that seeks after God first. And I need God to create in me a clean heart, as David cried out. Matter of fact, we're told in Proverbs chapter four that the heart is so important, we have to guard it above everything else. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Hezekiah made the changes that he did because his heart was tuned in to God. That's where it started. And I have to confess that I, as I've studied this and thought back on my prayers, many of my prayers are spent asking God for wisdom to make smart decisions. I mean, isn't that what Solomon asked for? Solomon asked for wisdom. What a great role model. I'm going to follow Solomon's role model, ask for God for wisdom to make smart decisions for my family, for the church family, for the work. As a boss there, I want to make smart decisions. And I really started to feel convicted during this message that even more than praying for wisdom, for good decisions, man, I need to pray that God will give me his heart. Because if I have the heart of God, I will make decisions that honor God. But it has to start with the heart. It has to start with the heart. While it's good to make wise decisions, I think it's better to have a passion for God. Because your decisions will come from that. So Hezekiah, first of all, lived for God because he had a heart after God. And living for God starts with having a heart. It starts with the heart that is after God. But there's more to it than that. Hezekiah also surrendered. This is really what the soul is all about. Hezekiah's heart or mind drove him to want to make a covenant with God. And when you make a covenant with God, he wasn't making a new covenant. He was going back to their old covenant. He was saying, I am willing to submit to your leadership, God. I'm willing to submit to doing it your way, God. That's what this covenant is all about. And the Shema says to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. We're actually going to outline our passage through the Shema today for fun. So I want to look at the soul and what that word means. Um, the Shema word soul is actually the word, when you think of a soul, what do you think of? What's that? What's that? Spirit, right. Um, it's kind of like that. We get the word in the, in the Greek, we use the word pneuma, which means, which is wind or spirit. We use that for, for soul. But in the Old Testament, the word is the nefesh, which means neck. Now, the neck is like the gateway to the rest of your body. Air comes in, air goes out. It's also the idea of breath or living being. And it's the breath of God that spoke things into the existence. It's the breath of God that held back the waters when the Israelites walked through the Red Sea. That same word breath, that same word nefesh is used about those things as it is about our soul. We translate it a bunch of different ways. And it's like, it's a great study to do. If you're like like if you're like into these whole Bible nerd word studies, this is a great one to, to dive into. It'll take you the rest of your life to try to wrap your head around this one. Um, but it's the net. And, and I think... To me, the beauty of this concept here, when it's talk about surrender, surrendering your soul, is the visual that you can get from this. Um, let me give you an example. Tap over to Jeremiah, I'm um, sorry, Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10, verse 23. Joshua 10, 23. So they brought the five kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, to Joshua out of the cave. When they had brought the kings to him, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the military commanders who accompanied him, Come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So the commanders came forward and put their feet on their necks, and Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or discouraged, be strong and courageous. For the Lord will do this to all the enemies you fight. This idea of putting your foot on someone's neck was the idea of having complete control over their life, over their death. It's them being completely submitted to you. Now, in this case, it was one of military and fear. That's not what we're talking about with Hezekiah here. Um, Hezekiah was willing to submit his entire being to the authority of God. We read in 2 Chronicles 29, verses 29 through 30, that as they were doing the work of the temple, he established, that we're going to talk about what he did in a couple of minutes, but while they were um, having this temple worship, the burnt offerings were being completed, the king and all those present with him bowed down and worshipped. Then King Hezekiah and the officials told the Levites to sing praises to the Lord in the words of David and the seer Asaph. So they sang praises with rejoicing and knelt low and worshiped. You see the similarities? Though not conquered in battle with somebody's foot at their throat, they humbled themselves to put themselves at the feet. You've heard that phrase, being laying something at the feet of somebody, right? It's the same idea of submission, of surrender, of allowing yourself to be under their control and to declare that they are higher than you are that they're greater than you are. Bowing, kneeling, and worshiping, declaring the worth of somebody else that's greater than you are all signs of humility. And Hezekiah was not doing this as a sign of defeat in battle, but a sign of submission to a God who cares and protects his children. You know, it's much easier to submit to someone when you know that they care. This is true, whether it's a boss, an elder of a church, a spouse, I would say one of the most contested conversations I have in premarital counseling is so when we talk about husband, love your wives, like Christ loved the church, and wives, submit to your husband. I'm not, I'm not submitting to him. What do you mean? You got to talk to God about that because he put that in his word on it for a purpose. But I tell you what, it's much, it's much, much, much easier to submit or to humble yourself or to put yourself under someone's authority when you know that their number one goal is your well-being. Amen? Hezekiah submitted to God, but he knew that God was the one who was looking out for the nation, that God loved them, that God was protecting them, that God was caring for them. Much easier to do. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 is a verse of hope for you and me. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. you can humble yourself before God, and you can surrender yourself to him because he cares for you like nobody else, like no one else. I mean, somebody might love you enough to give you the, the last cookie they have. God loves you enough to give you his son. Nobody loves you like God does. Not only is it in our benefit to submit to God, it's a gift that we give to him when we do it. It's part of our worship. To be willing to surrender to the will and leadership of one greater than you is to declare their greatness, to declare how powerful they are and how worthy they are, and it brings honor to their name. Every time we willingly submit to God, every time we make even a small decision to do things God's way, we elevate him and we make his name honored. That's submission. God wants this more than any gift we can offer out of thanks or even for our own sins. Psalm fifty-one, seventeen: the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humble heart, O God. To be a great leader, those of you that are leaders, or to be a great image bearer for God, which is everybody who's called under the name of Jesus, to be a Jesus follower means that regardless of your position in your family or in your workplace or in your military units or in your governments, you must first and foremost surrender to the leadership of the King of Kings, of the Lord of Lords. Only a leader who's humble enough to admit his dependence upon God is going to be able to lead with the blessing of God. So Hezekiah not only loved God and had a heart for God, and his heart, his thoughts, his everything about his being, was tuned to God so much so that he made changes, and the first change was he was willing to submit, which is the opposite of his dad. Ahaz refused to follow the leadership of God, which is why he made the pact with Assyria. He refused to follow the commands of God, which is why he was willing to offer his son as a burnt offering. Hezekiah was not going to follow in his dad's footsteps. He chose to have a heart after God and to submit himself to God. Those are two of the things. Let's look at that last one. You have the heart, you have the soul, and then you have the strength. You know there's a difference between saying you're a God follower and actually, like, living like one? I mean, this is... Exactly, what got the Israelites in trouble. This is why they're in exile. Because though they were the people of God, they certainly didn't live like it. Now, listen, I know that you guys here, none of you have ever lived a hypocritical moment in your life. I know that. Um, you know, it's possible to actually go to a, a church service and hang out with other Christians who just don't care. There's many people who fill seats every week who really have no desire to live for God whatsoever. They're just checking off the box. If you're one of those today, I want to tell you, you're missing out on what God has called you to do, to be, to do, to live for. But for those of us who are trying to live for God, we'll never get it perfect. But if we don't live what we believe, then why do we even believe it? Now, those aren't really my words. My words. Um, there's this physical application that comes to our faith. There's this practical working out of our faith. I can say that I love God and have a heart after God. I can actually say that I'm surrendered to God, but how are you going to know it? How is it going to be proven? What's going to be different in my life if those two things are true? And that's going to come down to the way that I live. That's going to come down to the physical application or the strength, the things that I do with my hands and my feet, with my body. I really like uh, the word strength here in the in the Hebrew. I got to give you this one because I've given you the other ones. It means power, physical or mental. Power. Strength. What good does it do to say we believe something and not live it? James chapter two, verse twenty. Go ahead and tap on over to there. James two twenty. <clears throat> I like James. James is one of those no nonsense guys. If you had James as a friend, there'd be days where you would hate him and days where you would love him. I mean, James is just one of those friends. James comes in James chapter two verse twenty. <laughs> he just starts out like, "Bam, you senseless person." That's a, that's the starting sentence here. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham, our father, justified by works and offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see, faith was acting together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab, the prostitute, also justified by works? in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead, pointless, useless. I mean, really, you ever have a dead pet fish? Have you ever had a pet fish die on you? I had a lot of pet fish die on me. We had, my boys had two bubble-eyed, or no, they were betas. Uh, one was called Winky because he only had one eye, and one was called Bob. And one day, Winky left, and not too long after that, we found Bob living up to his name. Here's Bob on the top of the tank. Now, I would be really concerned if one of my kids said, oh, I got to take my fish with me that's already dead, and started walking around with that fish like it's still alive, going, oh, no, I, this is my friend, my fish. I want to talk to him and have fun with him. It's like, no, that fish is gone. You can't, don't leave it in the tank. Don't let it just, it's got to go. Well, if, if something is dead, it doesn't, it's not something you should be dragging around with you. It's not something that you would want around you at all. Your faith, if it doesn't have activity, if it doesn't have action, strength that proves it, it's dead. You're just dragging it around. <laughs> you're saying you have something, but you're just dragging it around with you, and it means and it looks ridiculous. Can I just say that? When you say you're a follower of God and you have nothing in your life that looks like it, it's just as ridiculous as my, would be my boys carrying around that dead fish having a conversation with it. Really. That's what James is trying to get across here. Faith without works is dead. It's useless. It's pointless. You got to have the activity that backs up what you believe. Now, it does say that faith with the works justified Abraham, justified Rahab. I just want to make a clarification. We are not saved by what we do. We are saved because of the work of Jesus Christ. But we're to spend our lives living in a way that is just before God, that is right before God. Justification, righteousness, those are those two Bible words that we use to talk about that. And to do that means to have actions that line up with our surrendered soul and our heart after God. So what did Hezekiahs look like? I'm going to give you the cliff notes on three chapters of Hezekiah because I'm not going to read them all for you like David would have done this morning. He's not here. I can say that. So let's look at what, what Hezekiah would do, or did do. Um, here's a list of some of his actions. I think I made a PowerPoint for you here. The actions of Hezekiah. All right, you ready for this one? First thing he did, chapter 29, verses 12 through 19, he cleansed the temple. Ahaz had closed the temple, defiled everything, just made it a horrible place. First thing he did was opened up the temple doors. The priests, the, the Levites, took 16 days and they cleaned everything top to bottom. I mean they went to work on this place 16 days. It's even recorded like it was a, like miraculous that they got it done so quickly. He cleansed the temple. He reestablished sacrifices and worship in chapters 29 verses 20 through 36. So he had people bringing sacrifices. As matter of fact, Some of the priests didn't even think that Hezekiah could get this done too fast. They didn't purify themselves, and they had to get other people to come kill the animals because there weren't enough priests there to do it, to offer up the sacrifices and kill the animals. The people came out in droves, and they offered praise to God and sacrifices to God and worship to God. After that, in chapter 30, they celebrated the Passover. This is an interesting one because this was not the month to celebrate the Passover. It's actually a month late. And he says, we're going to celebrate the Passover even though we missed it because we're going to acknowledge that our deliverance comes from God alone. And so he took, Hezekiah took some liberty here. A matter of fact, he took a couple liberties if you want to read that chapter. One of them was having it on a day that was not prescribed. And the other one was, people, before you celebrated the Passover, you were supposed to go through this purification process and not everybody had done that. Hezekiah said this, no, 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 we're just going to let them do it anyway. Even if they're not pure. And we're going to trust that God's going to take those that have a heart after him and accept it. He uses the same phrase about the heart, about these people who were not ritually pure, but were coming to God with what they had. Really, really cool. Really cool. Um, OK, so uh, Second Chronicles chapter 30, verses 18 and 19. A large number of people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, were richly unclean. yet they had eaten the Passover contrary to what was written. Now if you remember, in our Bible history, when somebody did something, especially around the temple or the Ark of the Covenant, that was not the way God wrote it, it usually ended badly for them. Right? I'm mean, like, really badly. But Hezekiah had interceded for them, in verse 19, may the good Lord provide atonement on behalf of whoever sets his whole heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of his ancestors, even though not according to the purification rules of the sanctuary. And the result, in verse 20, chapter 30, so the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. Whoa. Whoa. God, like, made the exception to the rules. That's so cool. Because the people had a heart for God. Did you catch the connection there? It starts with the heart. All right, what else did he do? He destroyed idols. Chapter 31, verse 1. Not only did he destroy idols in Judah, he went up to Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, if you remember the the Bible lesson we had with David... David gave us this whole thing, you know, Judah, and there's Judah, and there's the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom is Israel. Ephraim and, and Manasseh equals Israel. The ten tribes equals Israel. These are all, in 2 Chronicles 31.1, 1, 1, it says, when all this was completed, all the Israel who attended went out to the cities of Judah and broke up the sacred pillars, chopped down the Asherah poles, tore down the high places and altars throughout Judah and Benjamin, the two southern tribes, as well as in Ephraim and Manasseh, the northern tribes, to the last one. To the last one. They purged. Then all the Israelites returned to their cities, each to his own possession. So the northern kingdom didn't want anything to do with the southern kingdom. As a matter of fact, when Hezekiah said, come down and worship, most of the northern kingdom said, yeah, we don't want much to do with that. A couple of them came. Most of them didn't, the ones that weren't already taken away. Okay. So after Hezekiah establishes worship and the people give to God and worship God and sing praise to God and recommit themselves to God, then they go on this purge and they just clear out everything in the country that has to do with idol worship. I can't think of a king that was that thorough in destroying idol worship in the nation of Israel. Really, really cool. Really cool. These are the things that, some of the things that Hezekiah did. <clears throat> So Hezekiah's legacy. Actually, I have one more. I do have one more, don't I? He reestablished the priests and Levites for temple service in chapter 30, verses 1 through 19. So the priests and Levites were supposed to just be, take turns serving in the temple. They were supposed to get fed from the temple. The temple wasn't even open. These guys were like unemployed during the reign of, of Ahaz. They had no jobs. They had no income. They had no land. They weren't allowed land because they were supposed to be taking care of the temple and provided for by the people. Matter of fact, the people were so willing to give that there was a surplus. We're going to look at that in just a minute. Um, So these are some of the things that the actions of Hezekiah, this is what I would say would be his strength or him showing his might or his actions, his works. This is not what made him justified in God's eyes. These things came after he had set his heart on God. After he had surrendered his soul to God, then his actions came through and proved that he was committed to doing things God's way. Beautiful picture of what every Jesus follower, what every image bearer of God should be living like. So what happens when you live like this? When you live like this, you're bound to receive the blessing of God in your own life. Second Chronicles chapter 31, verse 20. Let's read what it says about the way God blessed Hezekiah. Hezekiah did this throughout all of Judah, and he was a good and upright and true before the Lord his God. He was diligent in every deed that he began in the service of God's temple and in the instruction and the commands in order to seek his God, and he prospered. Prospered quite a bit. Now, the blessings that we may get from God may may not be things on this earth. But you can count on God blessing those who live like this for him. Doesn't mean you'll have stuff. The blessings may not be on this earth. I think one of the greatest blessings is the way that God can then use you to affect other lives, to do his work on this earth. When you live this way, it affects everybody around you. And many of them will want to live the same way also. It's called being a contagious Christian called being a God follower that that is infectious in a positive way during this season of pandemic. i got to be careful when I use the word infectious. Um, in addition, it will be a blessing to God and can bring blessings from God. Let me read a couple passages for you um, in 2 Chronicles 29, 31. Hezekiah concluded... Now you are consecrated to the Lord. Come near and bring sacrifices and thanksgiving offerings to the Lord's temple. So the congregation brought sacrifices, thanksgiving offerings, and all those with willing hearts brought burnt offerings. The heart of the people started to change. And I believe it changed because of the leadership. It changed because they had a leader whose heart was after God. They had someone in their life who was modeling what it meant. To be a committed God follower, Hezekiah was contagious. Matter of fact, Second um, Chronicles thirty twenty seven: the priests and the Levites stood to bless the people, and God heard them, and their prayer came into His holy dwelling place in heaven. Now this is huge. This is huge. God had shunned the northern kingdom. God was rebuking the southern kingdom. But now, because of the leadership of Hezekiah and the change in the hearts of the people, including the priests, the prayers of the spiritual leaders of their day who had, who had totally abandoned God up to this point, are reaching into God's very throne room, God's dwelling place. And he's hearing them, and he's pleased. Wow. They went from the temple doors being shut to their voices being heard in God's very presence. What a transition that is. Now, this is all the beginning of Hezekiah's reign. (laughs) Um, This is... Saul started out okay, kind of, right? David started out okay. Solomon started out okay. You know, we're in a new year. Start a lot of things in a new year. I've learned it's really easy to start out okay. <laughs> it's not always easy to finish well, is it? A lot harder to finish well. Um, now, while no one bats a 1,000, we can live in such a way that the vast majority of times we're living up to the standards God has set. And while no one will, will, it will never be said of any of us that that person lived perfectly. Nobody's going to say, Pastor Mike lived a perfect life. But can it someday be said of us that we lived in a way that honored God? Meaning the majority of the time. Is that how we were characterized? Listen to the characteristics of Hezekiah that we had in 2 Chronicles 29. Verse 2 He did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. Not only did he get compared to the greatest king that ever ruled in Israel, but even more importantly, he did what was right in the Lord's sight. Can I just say that's what we should be known for? At the end of our days, You don't have to be known for the person who achieved the most in their rank. You don't have to be known for the person who had the biggest bank account or the nicest house or someone who took care of of more um, pets than anybody else. Those are all good things. But above everything else, it should be said of us that we did what was right in the Lord's sight that we were known as people whose hearts and soul and strength lined up with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The specific deeds we do, the way we treat others, and the passion we have should all be a pile of evidence that we lived in a way that pleases God. We ought to desire to hear from our Father, well done, my good and faithful servant, as we read read about in Matthew 25. I want to leave you with this thought today. Hezekiah, in the midst of very dark times, stood out because even when his own people didn't want to follow him, even when his father was a horrible example, even when there were threats around him from other nations and half of his nation was in turmoil, actually 10 out of 12, so more than half, once... uh, Five-sixths of the nation was in turmoil. Hezekiah stood out as a light because, as a king, he understood that the most important thing he could focus on was having a heart after God, being surrendered to God, and living a life that proved the first two. And that is what you and I are called to. It's a new year. We live in some dark times, don't we? (laughs) We live in some very challenging times right now. Times where people are are filled with rage and intolerance and hate. Times when people are filled with fear and uncertainty and doubts. If there was ever time for the people of God to shine, it is today. And that will only happen not by starting with things we do, but by starting with the heart and being willing to surrender to God, and then living in a way that proves that God cares, that God changes people, that God is the one who's in control and the only one worthy of us surrendering ourselves to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can trust you. Thank you for examples like Hezekiah. Lord, we struggle getting sucked into the darkness of the... Challenges around us, we can struggle getting pulled into the negativity, even the the feelings of hate and anger and rage that we see in our society. Father, we can wrestle with control, feeling like we need to be in charge of everything and figure out how to make peace with what's around us. And yet in the midst of all this noise, it's the humble heart that you won't despise. It's the broken one who's willing to submit to you that you promise to lift up. Father, give us a heart like yours. If there's hard spots in our heart, whether it's toward other people or whether it's toward sinful desires, Father, cleanse us from those things and create in us clean hearts and renew right spirits in us. Father, help us to surrender to your will in the little decisions every day as well as the big ones to show that you are truly worthy of worship by the decisions that we make in honoring you and by reminding us that we can't even determine whether or not it snows, let alone what will happen tomorrow, and that we need to trust you for the future and even for the needs of today. And, Father, give us the strength that we need to live in a way that we act as lights to the world around us. Just like you called the nation Israel to be a light to the nations, you called us to be lights to the world that we live in, in our communities and in our workplaces. Father, help us to prove to them that you are alive and worth living for by the way that we live for you and honor you. We pray in your name for your sake, for your kingdom and glory. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank you all for coming out, for braving the snow and getting out here. Um, if you did, did you all get like the notification that, somehow get a notification that we weren't having the music time this morning? If you didn't get that, we sent it out by email. So I need to make sure I have your email. Uh, we put it on our Facebook page. So you can check our Facebook page. Um, you can also text me, but at a certain point, I turn off my text because I'm getting ready for this, so I may ignore you and don't take that personally if that ever happens. Um, yeah, you te- text Laura, she'll get back to you. I, um, I still love you, but I'm going to ignore you while I'm getting ready for the service. But uh, So yeah, check our Facebook page. You can also um, check uh, Realm. Uh, basically, the only thing that probably would cancel the online service for these that are online would be a power outage. And we had that from 2.30 until 6.30 this morning. And I was wondering, I'm like, uh, we're going to get a snow day because we, I mean, if if we have power, I can, if we can't get up here because of the snow, we can still do a a remote stream. So make sure we have your email, check our Facebook page. Um, We'll try to get information out to you whatever way we can. So, so thank you for coming. God bless you. and Enjoy the snow. Oh yeah. Sorry. Business meeting Wednesday night. Um, this Wednesday at 7 o'clock, and that's right here at the church building. And then also a reminder that uh, Connor and Valeria have requested church membership, and if you have any...